August 17th, 2022. We're continuing in Masechet Berachot and Dafdalid Amud Aleph. And if you count from the bottom of the page up, it's 11 lines up, the last word on the line, which is Vidavid. If you recall, the context of the Gemara is the Gemara was discussing and describing how David, in its final description, uh, had this ability to uh, not need to see himself and honor himself, but was able to be uh, accepting of a certain embarrassing situation, even though he was the king of Israel, even though he was involved in adjudicating in court cases and determining halachot for others, he nonetheless, as the Gemara says, would turn to Mephiboshet Rebi, his, his mentor, his teacher Mephiboshet, and ask him, uh, my, my mentor, my master, Yafe, uh, did I appropriately rule on this? Yafe hitarti, yafe asarti. Those are all questions the Gemara describes with regards to David turning to Mephiboshet and um, making certain that he got it right. Not the thing that you'd imagine from the person in charge who has all the eyes on him. And then the Gemara says that, uh, in a way, David's life uh, then uh, spiraled in the direction of a descendant known as Kilav whom the Gemara describes as an individual who was in turn able to find the answers on his own, above and beyond Mephibosheth's capability. And the Gemara, in fact, suggested that that name Kilav was not his actual name. His true name was Daniel. Why was he known as Kilav? And we didn't really stress this. Rashi points out that the word Av in that context is not his father, David, per se, uh, but rather it's uh, Av Bechokhmah. It's a reference to being machlim, some sort of embarrassment in the other direction, uh, to the Av Bechokhmah reference to Mephibosheth. Instead of, instead of Mephibosheth determining the law and all turning to him, this Kil'av was able to determine it independently and then, in a certain respect, you know, rise above and be machlim, cause some sort of shame to the teacher of uh, David. So now the Gemara interjects and says this all really arrived at our doorstep with regards to conversation uh, because we were being Doresh that Pasuk, which talked about uh, David turning to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, asking him, Shamera Nafshi, bring protection to my soul, Ki Hasid Ani, because I'm a pious person. Says the Gemara, the Gemara was questioning, what does it mean that he was pious? What was his righteousness? This was one of the examples the Gemara gives. Uh, so now the Gemara says, David. Is it possible that David actually referred to himself as a Hasid? So you and I, of course, say immediately, of course, it's David Amelir. Says the Gemara, didn't David himself say, The Pasuk describes David, so to speak, yearning for uh, the Tuv Hashem, the goodness of God that he can see, that he can behold, Be'eret HaHayim, or Be'eret HaYim, which is this world to come. Uh, first and foremost, the word Luleh in our tradition, in our Masoret, has dots on top of it. And as a result, the vision of the rabbis is, is that David is actually fearful of the fact that he won't be able to behold and be a part of that vision of this world to come. Says the Gemara, 
Lamanakud alule. Why does the word lule have nikud? Why does it have dots on it? The general understanding of dots, <clears throat> each one has different interpretation and understanding, but the general understanding of dots, and we find it in several places in the Torah as well, there are dots on top of a letter based on our tradition. If you open up to a standard Sefer Torah, coming up in just a few weeks, Hanistarot Ladonai Eloheinu Vahemiglot, and so forth, you have dots on top. There's always questions why. The general understanding, however, is that those dots are coming to minimize something. And David is in some respect in this context minimizing and feeling and realizing maybe I don't have a chance maybe I don't have the capability of beholding all that goodness. Why not? The rabbis are understanding that David turns to God and says Ribono I know and I trust that you will pay and give reward to the righteous ones in the world to come. Aval, however, I'm not certain if I'm going to be a part of it or not. Says the Gemara, then how was it that David referred to himself as a Hasid? After all, Lule has those Nikud on it, where understanding those dots as referring to David's skepticism about himself, his self-doubt, would he be the one describing himself as Hasid? Answers the Gemara, Sheme Yigrom Hachet. David, in truth, understood his stature. He understood he was a Hasid. The reason he was fearful in the eyes of Rabbi Yosin, the rabbis over here in the Gemara, is because he was nervous that he'll mess this up. He'll sin now in the future, in the upcoming events in his life, which means to say he could and would say about himself that he's a Hasid. He understands who he is. It's not an act of a loss of humility. He's speaking about himself truthfully. However, at the same time, he's fearful, which is appropriate for all of us, that we might misstep down the road. And that's why he has this lule. Says the Gemara, we have a certain precursor, we have a certain uh, analog with regards to this vision, this understanding of Shemei Yigrom Hachet. For example, says the Gemara, Kedirbi Yaakov Bar Idi, this is a derasha, Nagadav, Rabbi Yaakov Bar Idi, Derbi Yaakov Bar Idi, Rameh. Rameh means to ask a contradiction. He has a contradiction of Pesukim with regards to Yaakov Avinu. On the one hand, Ketiv, the Pasuk says, Vehine Anuchi Mach, Pasuk says at the beginning of Parashat Vayeseh that after David runs away from his parents' home, excuse me, after Yaakov runs away from his parents' home, HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes to him and promises him, tells him, I'll be with you, I'll support you, I'll protect you. However, just a little bit later in the Torah's chronology in Parashat Vayishlach, when Yaakov is leaving Lavan's home, when he's about to encounter Esav, Uchtiv, Vayira Yaakov Me'od. Yaakov is very fearful. He's nervous. What are you nervous about? What are you fearful about? HaKadosh Baruch Hu promised that he's going to give you protection. I don't understand why there's a fear. I don't understand why there's an anxiety. Answers the Gemara. Amar Yaakov, just like the Gemara suggesting David, had that self-doubt. It's not self-doubt because he didn't know his value. It's self-doubt. Maybe I'll make a mistake. Maybe I've made a mistake. I can't and we shouldn't be too confident in ourselves, the Mishnah says in Pekevot, until our day of death. You never know what tomorrow will bring with regards to challenges. And as a result, we need to be fully mindful and aware of our surroundings, our inner workings, and our life's trajectory. Kiddetanya, the Gemara says, we have another example of this in the Beraita. You see, the Pasuk 
Pasuk says in Shirat Hayam, that's Parashat Beshalach, as Am Yisrael are leaving Egypt, they exclaim, Adi Avor Amecha Adonai, Adi Avor Amzu Kanita. The double Lashon language of Adi Avor in the eyes of the rabbi is a reference to two crossing overs. Well, one is the redemption from Egypt, of course. That's the first entrance into Eretz Israel, Exodus from Egypt, march through the desert, first entrance into Eretz Israel. If you know anything about the first entrance into Eretz Israel, think no further than Yiriho. Understand the miracles that were performed by God in the fights against the nations of the land of Israel. It was an amazing experience. That's Biari Shonat. It's the first entrance into Eretz Israel. But we came back. Remember, we were exiled for seven years. We make our way back in the days of Ezra Nehemiah. The second wording in the Pasuk is designated in the eyes of rabbis, the rabbis to tell us, That's the second entrance in Tehrisis. It's based on this that the rabbis understood that the Pasuk just juxtaposing, putting right next to one another the first entrance in Tehrisis and the second entrance that was to come in the days of Ezra Nehemiah. The same way in the days of Yeshua Binun, there were miracles that were performed for Am Yisrael upon entrance. So too, that's what was supposed to happen the second time. Anyone who knows a little bit about Jewish history, who knows the Pesukim and Nevi'im and Ketubim, understands and is aware it wasn't so. The Bi'ar we needed permission from Koresh. We were still governed by foreign kings, by Ahasuerosh and others. It was never that simple. But I thought that the prophecy in Shiratayam was telling us we were supposed to have those miracles. Answers to the Beraita, what happened was we sinned. Yes, it was supposed to be that way. Didn't work out. As a result, bringing it full circle, that's the suggestion of the Gemara. David, although Hasid, nonetheless said about himself, I'm nervous, I might not be able to actually have that merit of Olam Haba because perhaps Yigrom will be a negative cause, Hachet, sin. The Gemara returns to the halachic portions of our Mishnah. The Mishnah, if you recall, recorded the end time of Kiryat Shema. Right? The first opinion in our Mishnah was that of Rabbi the Ezer. He said, Ad Sof HaShmurari Shona. We're talking about Kiryat Shema Shel Arbit. Kriyat Shema on the evening. We said the beginning time. And then the end time was, Ad Sof HaShmurari Shona. We talked about what that meant. The first third of the night. Then Hachamim interjected. They disagreed. They said, Ad Hasot, until midnight. Of course, we're not referring to midnight in the colloquial sense. We're talking about midnight with regards to Shaud Zemaniot. Just take the night. Same time David woke up, that Hasot Laila, indeed. Lastly, the Mishnah then told us another opinion, and it even told us a story about the students, excuse me, the children of Rabban Gamliel, the students, the children of Rabban Gamliel, who arrived late uh, at his home after being at the Beit Mishnah, turned to their father, Rabban Gamliel, and asked, is it still appropriate for us to read Kriyat Shema? Rabban Gamliel, consistent with his opinion, is, until morning. Now, the Gemara's initial questions, which we mentioned when we learned the Mishnah, is let's try to understand each of these opinions. The first and the last are pretty easy to understand. The Torah says, We read Kiryat Shema, times of sleeping and the times of waking. Now, if I understand Rabbi Le'ezer's opinion, he says the first third of the night, he says, sleeping means when you begin to sleep. First third of the night is when, generally speaking, unless you're dealing with a nocturnal individual who's up throughout the night, they're going to sleep in the first third of the night. Beshoch is defined as first third of the night. 
The second, the third opinion, excuse me, that of Rabban Gamliel, we understand that as well. Beshoch Becha means until the time when people are generally sleeping. They sleep until the morning. But Chachamim, Hatzot, where'd that come from? Beshoch Becha of Kumecha, how'd you come up with Hatzot? Midnight, and so let's look at the Gemara's question will be. Says the Gemara over here, Hachamim Amrim at Hatzot, Hachamim Keman, Keman means Kimi, like whom? Sevira lehu, whose opinion are they following? I Kerbili Ezer, if it's like the opinion of Bili Ezer, that Bishok Becha is defined as the beginning time of sleep, Sevira lehu, if that's their opinion, Lemru Kerbili Ezer, Hachamim should say, Atzof Ashmurari Shona, V I Kerbangam Liel Sevira lehu. If alternatively their opinion is like Kerbangam Liel, Lemru, they should have maintained, they should have stayed. Kiraban Gamliel that you have until Amut Hashachar answers the Gemara Le Olam Kiraban Gamliel Sevirah Indeed, their opinion is just like that of Rabban Gamliel. So then, why didn't they say, say until morning? They had the Ka'amre of Hasot. So why is it that they state you have until midnight as opposed to morning? It's in order to distance people from sin. What does it mean to distance them from sin? That's what we call a gezerat rabbanan, which means to say the rabbis were fearful, and we'll read about it in a second, in the, in, in the Gemara, and, uh, the rabbis were fearful, fearful um, that if they stated you have until morning, people would be lax and would not be uh, uh, appropriately in line with what they need to do. And as a result, ultimately speaking, miss out on performance of the mitzvah. Explains the Gemara Kedetanya, as we have a Beraita, which teaches, Hachamim asu siyag ledivrehem. Asu, Hachamim made a gate for their words. Of course, this is reminiscent of the first Mishnah in Perkei Avot, right? Hem amru shelosha debarim, amshek nesregedola. One of them is asu siyag Torah. That is the role of the paradigmatic, the classical Hachmei HaMishnah, Hachamim from that time period, you need to make, and maybe even this generation, at specific times, there are, speci- there are pur- purposeful and appropriate Gezerot. Hachamim Asus Yag Ledivrechem. Why so, says the Beraita? Kedesh Elo Adam Bamin Hasadeh Ba'erev. So that a person won't return home in the evening. Ve'omer. And they'll say, Elech Lebeti, let me go home. Ve'ochal Kim'a, and I'll eat a bit. I'll even drink a bit. You know something? Then I'll maybe even take a nap for a little bit, but then I'll pray afterwards. And afterwards, I'll read Kiryat Shema and I'll pray. What will end up happening without that appropriate Gezerah of the Hachamim, who tell you that you need to do it by midnight to push up the time? They'll end up just sleeping the entire night through and won't end up saying Kiryat Shema, won't pray Arbit. Aval, instead, Adam When a person arrives home in the evening, let them first go to the Knees, to the synagogue. If they're normal and regular to uh, reading Mikra, they know Hamishah Hamushet Torah, they know Navi, they know Ketubim, let them do that first. Of course, the, this Beraita is referring to the appropriate practice. Don't just jump into prayer. Begin with study of Torah. Bring your mind to a closeness to God in a different vehicle, or through a different vehicle and mechanism before prayer. Vim ragili shnot, if you know Torah Shvalpeh, Mishnayot Talmud, shone v'kore kriyat shema, and afterwards kore kriyat shema, umit palel, we'll come back to those references of kriyat and Mishnah in a moment, v'ochel pitom varech, and only then should you eat 
and say a beracha on the eating of Bekat HaMazon. Vechol concludes, again, what was the purpose of citing this beraita? The purpose of citing this beraita was to talk about Gezerat Rabbanan. Vechol ha'ovir al-divrei hachamim hayav mita. The conclusion is, and if you go against the words of the rabbis, you're liable for death. Death penalty? We're going to put you to death? Certainly not. We only put to death in Betin, in Sanhedrin, if it's a circumstance where the Torah says so. What does it mean, Hayav Mitah? The vision, the understanding is, Hayav Mitah Bidei Shemaim. Why for this? You don't have Mitah Bidei Shemaim for all sorts of biblical violations. General understanding, I think, is quite clear. We have more of a severity and penalty in circumstances that we assume people will be more lacks and less proficient to performance. If it's the rabbi's words as opposed to the Torah's words, people will laugh it off. People won't realize their wrongdoing. So the statement in turn is quite harsh and the reality might be quite harsh. Go ahead. So does that also apply today? Because you mentioned before that today we should be also doing some cases. So it's an interesting question. It's an interesting question. Hacham Badia Yosef is very, very clear about this matter in several places. He likes to quote even from Benish Hai, who writes this in one or two places, that we don't make gezerot me'atzmenu. We generally speaking will not um, uh, innovate gezerot on our own that aren't mentioned specifically in Mishnah and Talmud. That, that's, to, that's to a certain extent the reality. You'll find in rabbis from time to time they do have that. Now, when do they have that? Very often, Hamad Yosef is railing against it. For example, one of the famous examples is in the context of Sheilot Shvot Rav Pe'alim. Ben Ishai talks about bicycles on Shabbat. And one of the claims against Ben Ishai is maybe we should have a gezerah uh, maybe Shemeita can you mind come to fix the bicycle on Shabbat? Ben Ishai himself cites from others who say we don't do such gezerot bizman hazeh on our own. And you will find elsewhere, and Chacham Yosef does point this out about Ben Ishai even, he makes gezerot. So that's not to say that it's a general, clear, overarching principle because there are appropriate times in every community, in every circumstance, that sometimes gezerot are appropriate. Our community has one or two gezerot that were or perhaps are appropriate based on circumstances. But as a general rule and principle, we don't do that beyond the time of the Mishnah and the Gemara. But that being the case, that's the statement here in the Gemara, and that's the conclusion over here. The Gemara will in a moment question, why over here as opposed to anywhere else? We have lots of gezerot. Does the statement say, oh, if you go against the words of the rabbis, you're liable to the death penalty again, from heaven? I thought they That's said, what they're stating here. You're saying because it's a general statement, but they're in a specific context. I thought they were saying, by the way, any time that you go against the Rachamim, they not are. just this, but any time. They are. But how come every time the rabbis don't mention a Gezerah, do they not say afterwards, by the way, if you go against what we're saying, you're going to be Hayat Mitah. It's the first time. It's Barakot. All right, the Gemara over here will give a different answer, <laughs> two different answers. Um, I, I will just parenthetically, but importantly mention, the, there is a question, Arizal, Rabbi Tzhak Luria, as cited in Sha'ar HaKavanot, writes that at night, a person should not study Torah Shbikhtav, a person shouldn't be involved with at night. Why not? For Kabbalistic reasons. Like reading Tehillim. Like reading Tehillim and the like. So for example, he says, just from Kabbalistically, mm-hmm. without getting into what it means fully, he says, each of those, nighttime and Torah Shbikhtav, is from Olam HaAsiyah, which he says denotes and is along the lines of Deen, and it's inappropriate and it's dangerous for an individual to get involved with 
that combination of deen, of that strict letter of the law and judgment of God. Uh, that being the case, uh, we have several circumstances where the hachamim seem to talk along those lines. Famously, in Pirkei Bili Ezer, there's a reference with regards to Moshe, in the eyes of the rabbis, studying at Har Sinai during the daytime, Torah Shbichtav, and at night, Mishnah Talmud. That's an interesting reference. That's one of the po- points that, that, one of the circumstances they point to as a reference point for Arizal. You see, maybe there's a tradition on this. The counterclaim that several suggest, as Radal in his commentary to Pekeh de Rebiliezer points out, is that's not per se stating that you can't learn Mishnah, excuse me, Mikra at night. That's just stating it's more easy that way. In other words, the statement in the Midrash specifically is Moshe knew the difference between daytime and nighttime because generally speaking, Mikra is supposed to be read from the text. If it's Torah Shbikhtav, you're supposed to be reading it from the text. You do that during the daytime. At nighttime, when you don't have flashlights, when you don't have electricity, so then you're probably learning Torah Shbikhtav. It's not per se suggesting that it's prohibited. However, among several other sources that are pointed to as part of this conversation is this Gemara, because the Gemara is talking about the evening. And the Gemara says, Wait a second, I was talking about Torah Shbikhtav. The response of Maran HaChidar Bihaim Yosef David Azulay in his Mahazik Beracha, if I recall correctly, is as follows. The Mishnah, the Beraita over here is talking about those who know Mikra. That's what it says. Imragil Bimikra. It's a person who knows Mikra. In other words, it's a person who can't do Torah Shbalpeh. Ideally, we want you doing Torah Shbalpeh. You're not able to do Torah Shbalpeh. You know why you're sitting and wasting your time? You're in synagogue, you have nothing to do. What are you going to do? You're just going to read a comic book instead of learning Torah Shbikhtab? Of course, you should be learning Torah Shbikhtab, which means say, it's not per se the ideal, suggests Maran Ahida, according to the Kabbalists, but if you're not going to be studying otherwise, nobody would say you shouldn't study Torah Shbikhtab. It's just ideal Torah Shbikhtab. What's the vantage point for a person who's very serious about their study of Torah Shbikhtab? No parasha classes at night? We inject into it Torah Shbalpeh, any interpretation along the way, even reading Perush Rashi or so any Shai, other Mishnah Mikra would be along the lines of Torah Shbalpeh. If you're reading it together with the commentary, it's Torah Shbalpeh injected into it. You're not just learning Torah Shbikhtab. Hacham Vadeh Yosef, furthermore, with regards to Tehillim, that's generally speaking not read with a commentary over there. It's a lot more difficult to make this claim. Furthermore, if you say to me the person only knows how to do that, okay, no question. We don't want them being Yoshev Batil, as we said a moment ago. But it's a person who could be studying Torah instead. They're learning Tehillim. So the suggestion of Vadeh Yosef, based on several sources in his Yabiya Omer and his Hazon Avadyan, Hilchot Avelut, is as follows. He says, if you're learning, if you're reading the Tehillim, Derech Tefilau Bakasha, you're reading it as a request to God, you're reading it as prayer, or maybe as praise to God, that's permitted. The specific Kabbalistic fear in this context is that you're reading it as limud, as study. If you're reading it as prayer, that's permitted. So that's all important. Of course, 100%. I, I will tell you, he writes the same with regards to Avelut. If a person is mourning, they're allowed to read Tehillim. Uh, it says that that's, that's permitted uh, if they're doing it in a prayerful fashion. Early on in my rabbinic career, without knowing the customs well enough of our community, I went into a, a bit Avel, very serious about the Tehillim, and I told them they could, they asked me, I said they could continue doing it. A day or two later, I entered into the Bet Avel, and I saw the Tehillim books stacked on the side, and they were just sitting there. I said, what happened? They said, someone walked in, saw us reading Tehillim, and he went wild at us. And I said, who told you to do this, whatever? So I showed them the sources, but then I found out just not what our community does, and I, I learned my lesson on that with regards to my guidance of 
um, uh, of Avelim for the future. Anyway, statement here in the Gemara again is that in context, again, a parenthetical point, and we explained it for its a specific purpose. Now, there's another important thing to be mentioned over here. Okay, maybe we'll get to it in a moment. It says the Gemara, the Gemara questions, why is it that generally speaking, when we have a Gezerah, the Rabbanan mentioned in the Beraita and the Mishnah, even in the Gemara, we don't have this reference. Oh, by the way, if you go against this, you're Hayav Mita. Why over here? Says the Gemara, one of two reasons, if you want to say the following first reason suggested, because there's a particular fear with regards to sleep. Sleep is a time period and zone that we enter into, which is Be'ones, we're totally out of control. And as a result, when you sleep and you put yourself in the sleeping mode because you ate and you drank and you're taking it easy, uh, we need to be very severe with you. If a person's about to doze, you're not really in control of them unless you're very clear with them. As a result, in this context specifically, when you're not really in control of yourself, you're tired at the end of the day, we say to you, by the way, you go against this, Alternatively, the Gemara suggests the reason the Beraita used those words was to make clear there's a real severity over here. The Gemara will later on have a mahlok and a dispute about whether Tfilat Arbit is considered Reshut, quote, optional, or Chova, quote, obligatory. The statement over here of Kol Ha'overa Al-Devera Ha'chamim Hayav Mitah is to tell you not a halacha with regards to Kiryat Shema, which is what we've been dealing with until now. It's on the Arbit time, uh, the Arbit uh, uh, specifics. Now, the statement over here is to tell you don't think this is an easy issue to get around or to not pay careful attention to. Tfilat Arbit is Chova. It's interesting the Gemara makes that statement because we're posek lahalacha in that sugya later on the Masechet that Tfilat Arbit is Reshut. So full conversation with regards to what that means and the ramifications. But the interesting statement over here in the Gemara is the suggestion, second one is, that this Beraita is following specifically the opinion that Tefilat Arbit is Choba, and we're focused on the fear that a person won't take Arbit seriously, not so much Kiryat Shema. There is a dispute with regards to the specifics of this Beraita. What's the focus in this Beraita? Of course, the Gemara is mentioning this Beraita in the context of the time of Kiryat Shema, right? We were talking about the opinion of the Hachamim that you have until Hatzot, that that was a Gezerah. However, Rosh in Simantet and others have the following suggestion, that this Beraita is not actually talking about that. Did you pay attention to the Beraita? Beraita is talking about when he came home at night. Are you coming home close to Hasot? The Beraita is really talking about something similar, another Gezerah de Rabbanan. Do you follow? What's the other Gezerah de Rabbanan? that you shouldn't be eating and drinking and sleeping before our beat. Do you understand the point? In other words, we're bringing this as, a, uh, as, as an example, an analogy. We were talking about until Hasot. This Beraita is talking about something else. That's in fact Nifsak Lahalacha. If you look in Shulchan Aruch, in Sman Resh Lamed Saif Bet, Shulchan Aruch is Posak Lahalacha, that a half an hour, it's Bet Yosef's understanding of Sam Rishonim, within the time period of Arbit, we call that Seta Kochavim, you should not be beginning a full fledged meal. You shouldn't be beginning some sort of sitting where you're eating seriously or even taking a nap during that time period. That's learned from this Beraita, and that in turn is the reference in this context. Let's just read a little bit more in the Gemara. It says, Gemara, Amar Mor, we're returning to a statement that we had earlier, Kore Kriyat Shema, 
umitpalel. Those were the words in the Beraita, if you recall. Of course, the Beraita was mentioned to us for the opinion of hachamim that you have until hasot for the concept of gezera and so forth. Says the Gemara, but let's pay attention to those words. Stop for a second. Kore kriyat shema. Okay, it's albit. First, say kriyat shema umitpalel. And then I say amida. Easy to understand for you and me. That's what we do all the time. Says the Gemara, but it wasn't always so simple. Misayeh ale. This is in fact aiding and supporting the opinion of Biohanan's amazing statement is who merits the world to come? That's an amazing statement. Of course, he's embellishing. Of course, he doesn't know the answer per se to that question. But the statement is significant because what he's about to state is what I'm about to mention to you is very important. If I begin a class, I say, guys, you want to know what's going to give you the greatest zechut? Come on, Rabbi, you don't actually know. You're right, I don't actually know. But I'm trying to get you into this, to tell you this is really significant. Or what is that, Rabbi Yochanan? Tell me, I'm so excited. What, what could it be? My goodness. Seriously? That's the statement. It's that you went from Geula, which of course is the Beracha after Kriyat Shema, Baruch Hashem Ga'al Yisrael, and then you went into Tefillah and Ta'amidah. That's the greatest thing you could do. Now, pause for a second. What does that have to do with what we said earlier? And then we'll talk about what's the olam haba business. Well, what it has to do with what we said earlier is that's what it said in the Biraita. The Biraita said, you first say Kiriyat Shema, and then you say Amidah. That's called going from Kiriyat Shema, Geula, into Amidah. All right. What's the other opinion? So as the Gemara, Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, Omer, Tefilot be'emsa tekenu. Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi alternatively says, here's how it works. The Tefilot are in the center. I mean, in the center. It means it goes like this. In Shahrit, Kiriyat Shema first, Amidah second. Arbit, Amidah first, so I put my two tefilot, my two Amidahs in the middle, followed by, according to Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, Kiriyat Shema. You made a sandwich with Kiriyat Shemas and Amidah in the middle. What's that? Minha, there's no Kiriyat Shema at all. So certainly, it's, effectively, Minha is only Amidah. We do Ashrei beforehand in order to have the, the, the Torah beforehand. You really, you're right. It's even better. I should say it like that. Kiriyat Shema, Tefillah, 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 then Kiriyat Shema, according to Rabbi Yosho ben Levi. Before we deal with the final uh, touch over here in the Gemara, which suggests what are they really debating and disagreeing about, let's for a moment just analyze that statement of, of Rabbi Yohanan. Ezo ben what's the greatest merit? And we are very scrupulous and careful about this. You're not supposed to say Amen to the Hazam when he says Ga'al Yisrael and Shahrit. Why not? Semichut Ge'ulah Litfilah. We want to go straight from Ga'al Yisrael into commentary in the Gemara, in the back of the Gemara, suggests the following with regards to the concept. And in a book by Rabbi Ezra Bick, he really accentuates this in his book on Tefillah. The concept goes as follows. What does it mean to pray? What are you seeking with regards to the appropriate or, or ideal or an ideal perspective as I set into pray? The suggestion is that I pray as a person who's a slave to another. I'm praying as an act of servitude. My avodah is milashon avdut. I was redeemed from Egypt. I have the yoke of heaven upon me, kiriyat shema. I follow up with emet v'yatziv, gal Yisrael, God, you redeem me. I go from that into prayer. My understanding in prayer is that each one of these berachot that I mentioned to God is with the perspective and mindset of God, they're not really coming to me, but I'm turning to you and beseeching you and worshiping you as a servant. That's a mindset which is very critical to understanding and to unpacking what we're doing in prayer. Is prayer this personal thing that I kind of, 
individually determined I want to do and I'll make my request or alternatively, am I coming from the mindset, appropriate mindset of an Evet HaMevakesh Lifnei Rabbo? That's the principle of Tamidera Benu Yonah. Again, Rabbi Ezra Bek really develops this in his book. If that's the concept here in the Gemara, that's the idea of Ben HaOlam Haba. If you really want to get prayer right, Understand that you're entering into prayer as an Evid Bifnerabo. The concept again is a transformative one with regards to now understanding each one of those requests in the Amida. Each one of those requests is not per se this is coming to me, but rather this is who I understand myself vis-a-vis you. Okay, anyway, back to the Gemara. The Gemara now uh, questions. But before questions, just to mention parenthetically as well, Tosafot, Tosafot on the right-hand side, quotes from Rabbeinu Rav Amram Gaon. Rav Amram Gaon, of course, from time the Geonim, an important one, suggests that this idea of saying Kaddish in between, in Arbit, in between, Gal Yisrael Hashkiveinu, you say Kaddish, we have a Kaddish over there. Wait a second, I thought you need to be Somech Geolali Tefillah, isn't that the principle? Says Rav Amram Gaon, no, maybe that's because we are Posek Lahalacha, that Tefillat Arbit is Reshut. His suggestion is maybe it's because it's reshut, and as a result, that's why, since it's not obligatory, we're not as scrupulous with regards to this mention. Tosafot disagrees. Tosafot's, uh, and in truth, you know, Tosafot disagrees on technical basis and, and suggests that irrespective of the opinion of Tfilat Albit Reshut or Chova, the halacha is that when it comes to Albit, for reasons that Tosafot suggests, they get into a conversation about the Pesukim of Yiru'i Enenu, which we talked about earlier in the Masechet, um, that the Kaddish is, is not dependent on that question. A longer and important conversation to be had in several Dapim from now. But now, the Gemara says, okay, great. Now that we're on our tangent, now that we talked about Rabbi Yohanan's opinion, everybody agrees when it comes to Shahrit, we go from Geula Litvila. The question is in Arbit if we do so as well. Rabbi Yohanan says, absolutely. The Beraita, of course, supported him. Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi disagrees. Tefilot by Emsatikinum. Tefilot in the middle, sandwiched by Kiriachma Bemai Kamifligi. Says the Gemara, what is the Mahloket? What underwrites um, this Mahloket? How do you explain the logic of Rabbi Yohanan versus Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi? Answers the Gemara, I have two ways of explaining it. They're either disagreeing with regards to interpretation of the Pasuk or alternatively a logic. Tell me about it. If you're to argue, if you want me to give you the angle on it being a, uh, a logic which divides them. On the one hand, Rabbi Yohanan would make the following argument. Hey, listen. The Pesukim do describe Am Yisrael leaving during daytime Egypt. However, you should know the Geula, the redemption from Egypt, actually began at night. There was the word to the people that they're going to be leaving already at night. That began it. If I say to you, hey, we're going on a trip tomorrow. My mention to you already, you understand we're busting out of here. That began our exodus out. Your mindset is already different. So those are the words of a Geula me'orta. Orta means evening, night. Namehavet, also. The full-fledged, the highest-level redemption, that's only in the morning. As a result, Rabbi Yohanan claims you have to be you have to talk about the redemption and then go into prayer both at night and during the day. Not just during the day, even at night. Of course, the counterclaim of Yoshua ben Levi will be, hey, wait a second, when was the actual redemption? Only during the day. That's when you need semichut geulah. Since the geulah, the redemption was 
specifically during the daytime. Of course, Rashi cites from Pesukim, which seem to suggest that this was during the daytime. It's therefore, um, he, he argues, it's not the highest and most pristine level or premium level of Geulah, and as a result, doesn't need to have Simichut Geulah Litfila, according to according to Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. Says Gemara, alternatively, maybe they disagree about a pasuk. How so? Both Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi and Rabbi Yohanan derive their opinions from a single pasuk. What's that pasuk? Pasuk says in the evening when you sleep and in the morning when you wake up. Here's how it goes. Rabbi Yohanan says, hey, look, did you see what the pasuk does? It puts right next to one another. Evening, nighttime, and morning. Uh, when you wake up, same way we both agree, right, Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, that in the morning you need Simichut Geodalitvila, you go from Gal Yisrael, you go from Kriyachma Gal Yisrael into Amida, so too, Avshechifa, Name, Kriyachma Vachakartefila, so too in the evening, Kriyachma Shel Abit should be before the Amida, Simichut Geodalitvila, Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, Savar. How does Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi disagree? Makish Shechiva Likima. Yeah, absolutely, I agree with you. You want to know how they're similar? Makima Kriyachma Samuch Lemitato. Let's pay attention to the morning. Morning, what's the first thing you did with regards to prayer in Kiryat Shema? Kiryat Shema makes a lot of sense in lieu of what we discussed from Rabbeinu Yonah. I begin with accepting the yoke of heaven. That's an appropriate mindset. It's what gets me into the mode. Then I do prayer. What are you going to do as the immediate act before going to sleep? The first thing out of bed, last thing right before, first thing right before going into bed is... The suggestion of Yosho ben Levi is, and I'm suggesting it in lieu of what we learned from Rabbeinu Yonah, is the mindset is what it's about. And as a result, the mindset in the morning, yeah, I accept your hekesh, your linking of morning and evening, goes like this. Morning, first mindset, slave. First mindset, you redeem me, God. That's my perspective. Accepting the yoke of heaven. Mindset before I go to sleep at night, same thing. Amida, my worship, in the middle. Rabbi Yohanan again disagrees. What did we learn in the Gemara today with regards to the specifics? We first finished the Agadot, the Midrashim, with regards to David. We understood this concept of Shemei Yigrom Hachet, that terrible reality, but one that's very real and important for us of understanding we need to doubt ourselves until a day of death, understanding that there are dangers with regards to being overconfident in ourselves. We then saw this opinion of the Hachamim who argue at Hasot. We understood their opinion as being a Gezera, Midrabanan, a Siag, to make certain that you don't say, I'm going to eat a little, drink a little, fall asleep a little, and then in the missing Amida, missing Arbit, certainly Kiriachima Shel Arbit. We lastly went into understanding from those words of the Beraita that you're correct, Kiriachima, and then you're Mitpalel Tefila, you then say the Amida, a support for Biohan opinion that to be somech is not only in the morning but is in the evening as well whereas Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi for reasons we discussed disagreed with him Baruch Adonai Amen Amen